0: We've been going through the book of 2 Peter, and we're asking the question, what do we do while we wait? <laughs> while we wait for the, the world to get better, while we wait for right, coronavirus to enter, or, or while we wait for Jesus to come back and make all things right? What do we do? And 2 Peter, right, this is Peter's second letter. He's writing it. You know, He knows that his, his death is imminent. And so Peter says, because the time is short, pursue holiness. Right. The time is short, so pursue holiness. And we're now in, in chapter two, which, uh, you know, chapter one and chapter three are, are great, wonderful chapters to preach on. And chapter two just feels like a real punch in the gut. And the, Peter has some harsh words to say about false teachers false teaching and false teachers, um, because it's clear that Peter thinks one of our greatest threats to following Jesus, to loving God, to loving others, is false teaching. And so he comes down really hard. And so uh, last week, um, Doug gave us sort of a broad overview of of what's going on in this chapter. Um, And I just, I really wanna, I just wanna focus on one verse. I wanna focus on verse 19. Peter says, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved." So that's, that's what this false teaching is about. It's a promise, a false promise of freedom, but it leads to slavery. And I want us to focus on that because it's, it's the heart, apparently, of, of the false teaching that's happening here. Um, but I think it's also, you know, really the essence of a lot of false teaching is this promise for freedom Um, and I'm gonna specifically, I'm gonna do something a little different this week. I'm gonna, we're gonna focus on two of versions of false promises of freedom that we get that are just we're inundated with in society today. I'm gonna, so we're gonna go through what are those false teachings or what are those beliefs about freedom, and then what does the gospel have to say? So. We're going to look at, you know, one that I'm going to call expressive individualism um, and then <laughs> cultural Marxism. Right? That's a buzzword. You're probably wondering, whoa, what are we? Right. And then finally, we're going to, to look at the gospel. OK, so first, um, ex- expressive individualism. So this is basically the idea. This is something you hear a lot, which is um, everybody should be free to live however they see fit. Um, as long as they don't hurt anybody, right? As long as they don't hurt anybody else, right? So everybody should be free to, to do what fulfills them, to express themselves, right? To, to be who they want to be as long as they don't hurt everybody else, right? There's that qualifier at the end. Um, so I want us to, that's our first, and, and we, and you know, some people call that expressive individualism because really at the heart, it's figure out who you are and express yourself. And as long as you don't hurt others, that's that's how you'll be free. express who you are. that's the, sen- the that's where you'll find freedom. And so what you know what what do we what should we say now if you know if you've heard me preach before, you probably know that i I love to beat up on this idea. I think this idea is complete nonsense. Um and I imagine that a lot of you you hear this and you and you cringe and recoil and you sneer and you're like, oh, this is so dumb. Um, but, Let me give you two reasons why we really need to unpack this. Um, And the first is, even if you intellectually sneer and think this is dumb, your children, whether they're six or 36, this is the message that they have been sent all their lives, right? Every Disney film is telling you, you need to be free to be who you are, express who you are. That's how you'll find freedom and fulfillment and everything. Like every, every cultural message Is inundating you with this and so you know obviously not just your kids but people around like this is the water we swim in and so you know if you're if your kids come to you at some point and they say you know I'm thinking about this this Christian ethic right and they might say I was thinking about what if two people they just they both agree they want to do they want to live this way right whatever whatever that way is right Um, I don't see anything wrong with that and you you might want to whip out your Bible and say well right? The Bible says, oh, that way is is sin. And let me just tell you, like, you can say that, but you know, they're just going to turn off. They're not going to hear you because the foundational belief is people should be free to live how they want. And you may think that's crazy. And I think it's crazy. But if that's somebody's foundational belief, they're not going to hear you when you say, well, that way is sin. Okay. So we, you know, in order to engage with with those around us and maybe especially our kids, we need to understand this foundational belief. Um, But secondly, this is such a prevalent belief that even if we intellectually reject it, and like I said, I completely intellectually reject this, we we may be surprised at how much we've nonetheless internalized it. And we may feel the pull of this belief sometimes, even if we wouldn't believe it. Okay, so that's kind of a long preface, but what so wh- what can we say? Well, where does this belief come from, right? Well, let me let me tell you. This belief comes from you know, in history, for for a long time, people have said, "You have to live this way or else." And so, right, there's things that we used to believe or things that we used to say that now we say, "Oh, we cringe," right? Like or you look at other parts of the world and the way that like women are treated Right. And like women, you you have to live this way. You're only allowed to do this. And we look at some of these things and we say, this is awful. This is not leading to these rules are not living to freedom, but they're leading to tyranny. And so, you know, we we can rightly affirm like, gosh, a lot of the way that people have imposed and said, you must live this way just leads to 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 bad, bad outcomes, leads to oppression, tyranny, not to freedom. And so, of course, as Christians, we can affirm like, yeah, like. People telling you to live in a certain way that's not God's desire, like, that's bad. You know, and and Paul tells us, uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So, like, clearly, like, the concept of freedom is one that, that the Christians have to be on board with, okay? So, we can at least begin to affirm the, like, desire to have freedom and the desire to not be shackled by, you know, just arbitrary oppressive rules. Okay, so we can affirm that much, um, but here's the thing: there's a problem to be solved for sure. There's a problem to be solved, right? We want freedom. Great, right? Paul promises us freedom in Christ. So that's the problem: is we need freedom, but unfortunately, the modern solution, expressive individualism, doesn't work. So let me let me give you five reasons why it just doesn't work. It it maybe it sounds good, but it doesn't work. Okay, so um, first, it's it's practically unworkable, okay, because this I, our concept of freedom is no constraints, no constraints, um, and that's just you you can't actually live that way. Okay, so like let me start with some silly examples. Imagine a fish decides one day I'm gonna I want to be free to pursue my destiny on land, right, and grabs. The fish grabs its top hat and its cane and says, I'm going to go walk on land and become free. And that fish is not going to be free for very long because it will find that on land its fins don't work very well and its gills are not, um, you know, adapted for the air. And so it will find its freedom, um, perish and it will die. Right. Or consider like an eagle, an eagle that says, I've had enough of being constrained to soar in the air and finding the heat currents. I want to be free to just walk and that, um, that Eagle is going to get eaten by a Fox or something really fast because it's not actually free when it's walking. There's a givenness to a fish and a bird. Um, They're most free when they are constrained to what they were designed for. Now, right. This is where like a lot of modern people say, ah, but this is exactly how people have have oppressed. They say, you know, women, there's a givenness you there's things you can't handle. And you know, it's kind of sometimes ridiculous because women can handle like labor and childbirth, but then there's like these arbitrary things we say, Oh no, they can't handle that, which is way easier and less stressful and less emotionally taxing than, than, than childbirth. Right. And so like, <laughs> this is where people like rightly get nervous, but like we all know, that we need to live with constraints in order to be free. So let me give you two examples. If I want to be free to climb and explore mountains, right? And I want to be able to climb sheer rock without fear of like tumbling and falling to my death. I, I need to like harness myself to the rocks or I need to train my body to be physically strong enough to, to climb. I need to limit myself in some way so that I can have I can freely walk, or climb, right? Or if I want to be free to sit down on an instrument and play, most of us are not Abe Sanchez. We're not like just we just are naturally born and we can just play. Um, most of us would need to practice. we need to constrain ourselves to practice and learn and get the the scales into our fingers if we're ever going to sit down and play um so right like you might know like lori is very talented musician but for her to have the freedom to lead worship she's had to train herself new ways so that she can be free to come up here and, and do all the things it takes so it's unworkable to say that we should just be free to do whatever we want because in order to do the things we want that often means taking on the right constraints so it's it's practically unworkable okay Um, but second it's it's unjust because we owe more to other people than just not to harm them right so the what so for example what are human rights human rights are things that all of society owes to every individual so if somebody has a human right to life, as a society, no matter how bad you feel about somebody, you do not have a right to kill them. You there's no I don't care how good your reason is. You don't have a right to do that. Right? That's what human rights means. You owe it to them to not kill them, right? And so you may say, "Oh, right, that's that's the that's the harm principle. You can't harm others." Sure, but to say that justice is just don't harm others is actually I mean of all the the concepts of justice, it's the weakest definition of justice there is. And it's certainly not the biblical definition. Um, because actually, you know, anybody, you don't have to ask a Christian, but almost any of us, when we think about living, working for a more just society, requires sacrifices. It requires responsibilities. It requires us like constraining ourselves to live in a certain way that is more than not harming. And biblically, The Bible says, if you have the ability to do good to the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, right, the oppressed, the downtrodden, if you withhold good from them, the Bible doesn't just say you're not doing good. The Bible actually talks about you are stealing from what you owe to them. So you are doing harm if you don't constrain yourself and do good. So to say you should be free to do whatever you want, even if you add the like, harm principle, it's not gonna lead to a just society, okay? Um, but sort of more to the point, it's not a principle that can stand alone. And what I mean is, what, what constitutes harm? What, what is harm? Because here's the thing, we as a society do not agree We might, we might agree, let's say we agree not to harm one another. Okay, but what does it mean to harm? Because, and so there we, we need some other basis to define harm. So for example, right, some people would say a, an adult in the privacy of their home, watching pornography is not doing harm to anybody, but others would say, actually he's doing tremendous harm to himself. Um, It shapes the way his neurons work and so he's gonna do harm to his family and to the rest of society And there's a whole industry that right is supported by this and actually it does tremendous harm Um, So there would be disagreement um, or like (laughs) uh, Something you might hear a lot on on college campuses is somebody uh, Expressing a view that that I disagree with is violence so if I were to say, you know, I think the tax rates should be 43.7% and somebody else thinks they should be 67% or maybe somebody thinks they should be 7%, right? Somebody who holds the other views could say, oh, you're expressing a view that I disagree with and, and forcing me to hear it is violence and that's harm. Um, and so some of us would say that's crazy and some of us would say, well, you know, that's harm. Um, so, but we, you know, the point is we can't agree. We need more than we, we need to be able to define what's harm. And here's why we can't do that just by, by appealing, like don't harm. Um, so there's a philosopher, Alistair McIntyre, and he said, in order to define harm, in order to know if a behavior is good or bad, you need to know what human beings are for. You need to know what human beings are for. Right, in the same way, like if I ask you, like, you know, is this watch good? You know, if you, if you have no idea what the watch is for, you know, it would be like, this hammer is useless for hammering a nail. You say, well, it's not what it's for, right? Or, or I have a watch that apparently, if I just leave it on the table, it keeps time. But if I'm wearing it, it slows down. And so as a watch, it's a pretty crappy watch, but as a as a clock, it seems to do its job fine. So it's, it's actually not a good watch because it's not made to just sit on the table. In order to say whether something is harmful or not, we need to, to agree what human beings are for. And of course the secular answer is human beings aren't for anything. Uh, We just exist. And so we sort of like smuggle in and therefore you should just pursue happiness. Um, And then we sort of smuggle in and you should make sure other people pursue their happiness too. Although that really doesn't follow like who's to say I shouldn't harm others if that makes me happy. I'm not advocating that by the way, but there's, there's, we need some principle that rules that out. Um, so it, it, we need more to define harm. Um, you know, the fourth thing is, is this, everybody should be free to do what they want, express themselves. It destroys community. It's, it's like kryptonite for relationships. Because relationships, community, requires commitments to others. And, exp- right, individualism, expressing yourself means if what I want and desire and what's going to lead to my fulfillment or what I think is going to lead to my fulfillment, if it's at odds against the community, well, I do it. You know, I, I break ties with the community. I break ties with the relationship because that's what's best for me. And, um, so there's a psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, and he says, you know what? We know one of the best ways to be happy, to feel fulfilled, have joy in life, is to have deep relationships. But he says, an ideology of extreme personal freedom is dangerous because it encourages people to to leave homes, jobs, cities, and marriages in search of personal and professional fulfillment, thereby breaking the relationships that were probably their best hopeful fulfillment. right, he's saying if we get up and leave whenever we want, we're gonna destroy the best chance we had of being fulfilled. Right? like To consider a very specific case, if you want to have a rich, wonderful marriage where you will feel freedom in marriage if you have a, a, a wonderful relationship, uh, you need to limit yourself to not having affairs, right? Like the data tell us if you um, are unfaithful to your spouse, they will not be very happy and your relationship will suffer and you will not be free in your marriage, you will be destroyed. Okay. So it's, so it's practically unworkable. It's unjust. We need more than harm. We need to define harm. It destroys community. And finally, it ignores spiritual reality. What, what do I mean? The idea is if I'm free from constraints, then if I don't have constraints, then I'll be free. Um, but there's a problem. We are already enslaved to something. We're already enslaved to something. The default mode of the human heart is to serve something, right? Bob Dylan, right? Decades ago, he had a song. You got to serve somebody. Whoever, you got to serve somebody. So you might think, oh, if I don't have constraints, then I'll be free. No, you won't. You will serve somebody. The the question is just what? So Becky Pippert has this quote. She says, if you live for people's approval, then you are enslaved to what they think of you. If you live for power, you are enslaved to power. If you live for your own independence, then you're enslaved to your independence and you can't commit to anybody. But what you need to realize is that none of you belong to yourselves. So she's saying, you are enslaved already to something. And what she's saying, and what a lot of people say is, this is the problem of idolatry. You know, so Doug last week, he talked about sin as breaking God's law. And that's right. But it's not the only way that the Bible talks about sin. If you look at the way that the, the prophets confront Israel for their sin, one of the most probably the most common way actually is idolatry worshipping other things and this is what uh, you know augustine would say is we have disordered loves there's things that we love more than god and those things enslave us so so why does god command us not to worship those things right why is that his law because we're not made to love to worship power or independence or our relationships or anything and so if you don't realize that spiritually you are already enslaved to something what you need is to be set free what you need is for those bonds to be broken that's that's our problem right so that's the problem we need a master that won't oppress us. We need rules that are good. We need to be set free from the enslavement we already have. Okay, so that's that's our first that's that's expressive individualism. And that's the problem. What's the second major thing? And the second the second major view out there, if the first one was very individualistic, the second one is very communitarian, it's very corporate. Um And that second view is power. Freedom is power. Justice is power. So you look around the world and you see problems in the world. Why? Because there are power dynamics, okay? So like there's a professor or teacher has power over their student. A parent has power over their child, Um, right? A a president has power over constituents or you you know, you see there's power dynamics, right? And so this view says there's power structures, there's power dynamics, and they lead to oppression. And everywhere, everything that's wrong with the world, it's oppressive power structures. And the solution, you'll get justice by flipping the power dynamics in the world. That's the view, right? So then, you know, and the, the name, right? You could call this cultural Marxism, right? Okay, it doesn't matter what you call it, but that's the view is the problem is power, and the solution is flipping power structures. So, again, what do we say, right? I know, And I know a lot of you are cringing in your seats, and you're like, reject, reject, reject. Well, what you know, so what can we say? Well, again, let's begin by what can we affirm? Well, if you look at the Bible, and, the, and you ask the Bible just, just a simpler question, not of everything that what's wrong with the world, um, right? You say something like, where, what causes poverty? Okay. A smaller question than what's wrong with the world. The smaller question, what causes poverty? And like, like, and if you just look at like the wisdom literature, right? Like Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, you'll get like three answers. Okay. Basically. And the first is, so those three answers are personal decisions, calamity, and oppression. So first personal decisions, right? So in Proverbs, there's consider the grasshopper, consider the ant, consider the sluggard, right? If you work hard, you know, you'll see the fruits of your labor. If you're lazy and slothful, you won't. Um, so personal decisions can lead to success or to, to poverty. Okay, So that's, you know, and that's, that's where like, you know, like modern, like libertarians or conservative libertarians would say that's like 99% of it right there. Um, and, you know, if, if that's your experience or if that's your view, that's not the biblical view. Okay. So that can be your view, but it's not, it's not what the Bible says because right? the bible says there's also calamity there's also like a natural disaster a storm a fire uh, a flood an illness right somebody in your family dies and and that brings disaster it's nobody's fault it just happens um and then the third thing is oppression so even in proverbs which has a lot of like do good good things happen do bad bad things happen right like we kind of like know that ecclesiastes is full of like the race is not always to the swift But even in Proverbs, Proverbs even says, you know, the, the field of the poor man bears fruit, but oppression sweeps it away. The Bible talks about injustice and oppression as a reason that the poor are poor, right? What's amazing, right? When the prophets engage with Israel, they say, you're idolatrous, right? And you get that a lot in like, like Elijah was addressing idolatry, Baal worship, um, but a lot of like the minor prophets, they actually don't mention idolatry as much. They just condemn injustice. You sell the the poor for a pair of sandals. You ignore the orphan and the widow and the foreigner. You use unjust scales, right? You don't pay your workers their wages, right? All this stuff. So the Bible says, yeah, there's an injustice. And and so like the, you know, the cultural Marxists will say, yes, and that is, okay, that's 99% of what's going on. And the Bible would say, That's something that's going on for sure. So like as Christians, we can say, does oppression exist? Yes. Uh, Are there power structures that lead to injustice? Yes. Is that 100% of what's going on? No. Is every person just by, um, just by the very basis of like belonging to this group, oppressed or oppressor, no, the world is more complicated. There's all these things going on and they interact right? You can have calamity interacting with bad decisions, interacting with injustice, and they're all intertwined. And if you want to just say sin, sin is complicated. Sin, right? There's the flesh, the, the world, and the devil, right? These things are all complicated. The world is not one-dimensional, right? The one-dimensional is just bad decisions. That's one-dimensional. It's too flat a view of the world. It's, it's it's not as rich in understanding as the Bible. The it's all power structures. It's not as rich as the Bible. But the Bible can certainly affirm there are power dynamics that lead to injustice. But the Bible does not say that's the only thing going on in the world. Okay? Where this cultural marxist view goes wrong is it becomes a totalizing meta narrative of everything. You want to explain everything, it's just power. And I was reading a a commentary recently and they said of all the sort of secular perspectives on justice, this one is the most incoherent because when you, when you point and you see injustice on what basis do you say that's unjust? And pretty much it comes down to, I says, so I say, so right. It's I don't like it. Therefore it's unjust. Right. And so you have no way of saying like, what if we did flip the scales? Would that change things? Like you, like there's no basis for saying just unjust. And the answer, the solution is just flip the scales. And before I tell you, why does the Bible say that won't work? Let me write like historically, will that work? Look, let me remind you know, some of you, because I know a lot of you, we've been preaching about justice and a lot of you think that this is where the church is going. And so people ask, where's the church going? And we, and the elders, we all want to say nowhere community Bible church. We're still the Bible church. So we're not going to the direction of flip the scales. So let me, and I know a lot of you worry, especially when I'm preaching, does Greg just want to flip the scales? Let me remind you, I grew up in Miami, okay? And who is public enemy number one in Miami? It's Fidel Castro, because there was a problem in Cuba, and he had a revolution, he flipped the scales, and then it didn't take very long for him to start murdering his enemies. And so all the Cubans in Miami, they don't say, well, literacy rates are high. They say, look... He's, he's murderous. He's trying to kill our family. You know, we left. We had to leave. He forced us out. They, you flip the scales and you just relabeled. The oppressed became the oppressor. And, and so you just perpetuate more injustice. You just flipped who's who. Or, you know, my family's not from Cuba. My my dad's family, my family's from Venezuela. Then there's another, right? There was a revolution, right? You put Hugo Chavez on top. And, what, and now the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. Because the oppressed became the oppressor and you just get more chaos, right? Everywhere, anytime you just flip the scales, you just relabel, you don't fix things. You just relabel who's the oppressed and who's the oppressor. And the Bible will tell you why. Because there's two things you need to keep in mind. One, every person is made in the image of God. Every person has inherent worth and value and dignity. And that means they're capable of, better, of more good than you can imagine. But every human is sinful and broken and fallen and totally corrupt. And that means the human heart is capable of more evil than you could ever imagine. So the oppressed and the oppressors, both made in the image of God. The oppressed and the oppressors, both broken and totally sinful. So flipping the scales is just relabeling. You're still going to have sinful, broken people on top. So the problem here, right, is there are, there is injustice. The Bible's been saying it for 3,000 years. The solution is not just flip the scales because the problem is the human heart is radically corrupt. And the, the, the people who are on top, they're made in God's image, just like the people on the bottom are made in God's image. And we care about oppression because every person is made in God's image. So those are the false promises of freedom. Expressive individualism, live any way you like, just don't hurt others. False promise of freedom, flip the power structures, just you know, make the oppressed the oppressors, and freedom will have. What's the solution? Friends, we need we need a power that will not make the oppressed oppressors. We need a lawgiver, we need rules that are for our good. We need a master who won't oppress us. And friends, Jesus is the only master who will not oppress us. Because Jesus doesn't say, leave your life of sin and I won't condemn you. He starts by saying, I don't condemn you. Now leave your life of of sin. right? If you fail your job, it can't forgive you. If you fail your spouse or your body, your athletic achievements, they won't forgive you. They can't resurrect you to new life. Whatever idol you serve cannot forgive you. But Jesus came to forgive you. Jesus, right, he left heaven, he came to earth, we just preached on Philippians, and he became a bond servant. He became, you know, the way we translate the words, he became a slave. He came not to be served, but to serve. You know what a bond servant is? It's somebody who has a debt that needs to be paid, and until that debt is paid, he is a slave to that debt. What was the debt? Jesus came to set you free, it's your debt. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. Jesus didn't come to oppress you. He came to say, put your debt on me and I will set you free. And you know how he did that? He didn't come by saying, I'm going to live however I want. He came and he constrained himself to our sinful, broken humanity. But he he was not sinful himself. He constrained himself. He allowed himself to be oppressed. By the authorities, by the earthly authorities, and by the spiritual authorities. I mean, you know, one person puts it this way. He was nailed, physically nailed to a cross. I mean, how's that for giving up your freedom? But he did that to set you free. And Jesus is the only one when he says, let me tell you the givenness of your nature. It's because he made you. And he made you for your good. He made you to worship him to delight, to have joy. He came to set us free. He came to destroy the sin in our hearts. He came to destroy the sin in this world. He came to destroy the powers and the authorities and the principalities. So yes, he came to end injustice. If you want freedom, you will only ever have freedom if you constrain yourself to live for the one who came, not to be served, but to serve you. The only master that will not oppress you, the only way you will have freedom in life, is if you live to serve Jesus. Because everything you give him, that is where, for freedom Christ has set you free. Jesus told Peter, he said, everything you've given up, for my sake you will receive back 30, 60, 100 fold. If you want freedom, you live for the one, the only one who can forgive you. The only one who does forgive you. The only one who has done everything to forgive you. To give you resurrection life. To end injustice in this world. So that you can, like the eagle, soar. So that you can, like the fish, swim. So that you can, in your father's arms, forever have true, deep, ultimate fulfillment and love and joy and peace. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you came to set us free. We thank you that in Christ we do have freedom because you came not to oppress us, not to condemn us, but to give your life as a ransom for all. We pray that we would live into your freedom rejecting the false promises of this world, and living holy for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.